thank you for that. <laughs> so when I was 10 years old, uh, my family lived in this brand new house um, in a brand new neighborhood. There were hardly any houses, just a few, and there are definitely no other kids my age in the neighborhood. There were little kids, though, right across the street, and it was my first babysitting job was to watch these two little babies, which I loved. So I didn't have a lot of friends to play with, but I did have little kids to care for and earn money from. <laughs> and then I had another neighbor move in down the street just a few years later after we built our house, and there was a little girl that moved in, and she was six years younger than me. I was 12. She was six. Like I said, no other friends in the neighborhood, but here's this little girl playing with her toys outside, and I went out and said hello. I loved little kids and instantly got an invite to come and babysit. Yes, money, but also, if I'm being honest, I was really driven to babysit her because she had awesome toys. I was 12, and I wanted to play with her toys. I admit it, okay? She had every Barbie you can imagine. Now, at 12 years old, typically, little girls, from, at least for me, I was a little outgrown on the Barbie dolls, a little bit. I didn't have her many at home, and certainly I would not have admitted at school that I liked Barbie dolls, because at that age, I'm in sixth grade, getting older, it's really not that cool. Well, one day on the school bus on the way home, my brother and I were on a bus together. My brother, three years older than me, eighth grade, he's in the cool back of the bus trying to be cool, trying to impress I'm in the front of the bus with my friends, but there's only about 10 of us on the bus, so we can all hear each other. I overhear my brother trying to be cool, making fun of me, telling everybody that I played with Barbie dolls, which I quickly retorted with, oh yeah? Turn around, face the entire bus, and I said, well, last night I saw mom doing laundry and I saw poop in your underwear. <laughs> As you can imagine, my brother was not pleased but he got very quiet, which was scary. All the other kids did a, a low hum of, ooh, you know, I got him. It was good. Good moment, kind of, until I noticed and made eye contact with him. Bad idea. And he was seething, and his teeth were clenched. And he didn't even say it out loud. He just mouthed it. I knew exactly what he said. He said, I'm going to get you. Ooh, my heart was pounding. We're pulling into my neighborhood. We're like the third stop in. So I have two stops to make my plan of exit from the bus. So we get to our stop. I'm in the front of the bus, you guys. I had like weaseled my way to the very front seat. And I was like in sprinter position, ready to go. He's still trying to look cool, maintain the cool in the back. So I know I've got a little bit of a lead. I sprint out of the bus as soon as it stops, run inside my house, run up the stairs, grab the portable phone, run into the bathroom, lock the door, call my mom. I think that's pretty good. And then, of course, as soon as my mom answers, my brother pounds on the door. I'm going to get you. My poor mom, who's at work, had to try and resolve conflict from far away. Not easy, right? So here is a classic picture of what we typically do when we are in a situation where conflict is involved. We typically fight, like my brother did, or we fly, like I did. Today, we're going to talk about conflict. This summer, as you know, we've been talking about a lot of topical issues, and today, for just one day, not part of a series, we're going to talk about conflict. So as you can imagine, I'm not going to cover everything that has to do with conflict. There's a lot of conflict in the world. There's a lot of conflict, of course, internationally. There's a lot of conflict, of course, in our own country. There's conflict inside of you. 
interpersonal conflict is what that's called, tension, decision-making, stuff that's going on inside of you. But the conflict that we're going to talk about today is the conflict here. It's interpersonal conflict. I'm specifically talking to you about conflict between Christians in the church. But while I'm on that topic, I want to tell you, just take a little pause on a little holy discontent I have, and let's identify what the church is. This is something we've talked about a lot in Restore, but in the context of this conversation, this is vital. Because we're going to talk about scripture today that applies to Christians. Because guys, if we can't show people that we love each other, we're certainly not going to show Jesus' love to others. So let's identify what the church is. In fact, if you have one of these, did you guys get a program? No? Okay. Well, there's programs over there. Got one. She's getting a star sticker after this. Within our program and also on our website, there's a paragraph right here that's been on there from the day that we launched Restore Church, and it says this. Restore Church isn't a place or an event, but a group of people from different walks, cultures, backgrounds, and experiences. Our common bond is that we are fascinated by the story of Jesus Christ and the incredible restoration he brings to humanity. So right there, church, we know that it's not an event. It's not something you go, we say this, I'm going to church. We think we're going to an event. It's not a place. There's, this is a gorgeous church building, but this in itself does not define what church is. And the church, what I've seen it mostly referred to as, is, the inst- is an institution. But the church didn't start as an institution the problem we face when we look at church in those three, three ways is that it separates us from the church. But if you're sitting here and you claim to be a follower of Jesus Christ, you are the church. In this space together, we're the church. We are restored. We say that, right? Or at least I say that. We're restored. When you leave this space and you go out to dinner together, you're the church. When you're at home together, you're the church. The Bible has this word for church, ecclesia. It's a Greek word. It's used all over the New Testament, and it's actually used in a, in a couple of different ways, but essentially what it means is, I'm going to put it on the screen, it is the assembly of Christ followers. In Matthew 28, chapter, excuse me, chapter 28, verse 20, it says, For where two or three gather in my name, here I am with them. So here we are. This is church, that's church, us together with the Holy Spirit uniting us. No matter where we come from, we have that in common. We are church. So church, if you consider yourself part of that, this is for you. I got some talking to to do here. When it comes to relationships, without the love of Jesus, we typically look at people and, and leverage them. It is a... It's culturally acceptable almost to look at relationships and value relationships and pour into relationships and be willing to go through things in relationships when you feel like you're getting something from them. You'll, you'll have a relationship with somebody if you benefit from it. You get something from it. That's how we look at it, right? But with the love of Jesus, we look at it much differently. We look at this as this is our body. This is, we are one together. In the face of, of conflict, in fact, we typically determine whether or not somebody is worth our time. And that is when the fight and flight comes into play. When a conflict arises in a relationship, we like to fight or fly. Fighters, 
which I would be willing to believe that we all take turns being fighters and flyers when we're not being guided by the Holy Spirit and how we handle conflict. Fighters are really what we are encouraged to be in society and a lot of times in unhealthy ways, um, especially with our close relationships. We, we fight to be seen, to be heard, to be known, to be understood. We are conditioned by our culture to enter a conflict like this. Go into the conflict, say what you need to say, they better take it. If they don't, you're out. Right? Then you become a flyer, of course. But a fighter is one who goes in to conflict ready to win. They look at it as a battle to win. I need my voice to be heard, and if it's not heard, we're done. Right? That's a t- it's, it's something that we're conditioned to, we're taught to. And then a flyer which we can be both, like I said, but I really relate to this. A flyer is a person who avoids conflict for a number of reasons, but I think two came to mind when I was praying this week. Two, two reasons I think people typically fly. One of them is we are afraid. We're afraid of losing a relationship. If you see something, especially for calling out somebody as a believer on something, we're afraid to call them out, one, because it's not politically correct, two, And because we're afraid that if we do, we're going to lose that relationship or they're going to do something hurtful to us because we know they won't receive it. So we back down. And I admit, this is something I struggle with. I really fear hurting and upsetting people. And at the root of that is my own fear. It's less about them. It's more about me. The second reason that I see that people fly is because we're afraid to be wrong. We're afraid to come to somebody with a conflict we just, we want to be mad. We want to feel entitled to be mad. It's fair that we're mad. And if we talk to them about it, they're going to talk us out of it. Or they're going to find a way to be right and we're going to be wrong. So you know what? Fly the coop. I'm not even going to talk about it. And so you just let it fly. And we either flee the relationship or we flee the ability to go, cro- go clo- grow closer in that relationship. Neither of these responses, fighting or flying, is mature. It's not healthy. And most importantly, it's not holy. It's not what we're called to do, to just fly and avoid it or to fight for it. Fight or flight serves one person. That serves you. Holy conflict resolution, conflict care, I would say, serves the Lord and his plan for restoration. Jesus came and showed us another way. He showed us another way to deal with conflict. Of course, he came as the ultimate conflict resolution, but even on earth, he showed us the beauty of leaning into relationships and loving people through difficult things. He taught us how to recognize conflict. So before we, I'd like to take a step-by-step of some conflict resolution. Some of the stuff you've probably heard before, maybe you need a reminder, but I want to dig into it because I want to see the conflict resolution steps through the eyes of Jesus. How do we resolve conflict in our relationships, in our marriages, in our friendships, in our families, in this church? How do we resolve tension in things that are hard and glorify God while we're doing it? Well, there's four benefits of humbly pursuing healthy conflict resolution. This right here, these four things, is my hope to pull you in and convince you to lean into conflict resolution and not to fly and not to fight, but instead to lean into it in a healthy way. So check these things out. Number one, it can deepen and strengthen your relationship with Jesus. Number two, 
It deepens and strengthens someone else's relationship with Jesus. Number three, it deepens and strengthens your relationship with someone else. And number four, it deepens the impact and strengthens the church as a whole. In other words, conflict can be really good. It's like lifting weights. It just makes us stronger and makes us grow closer. If you think about the people that you trust the most in this world, I guarantee it's because you've been through conflict with them. You've been through something hard and you made it through the conflict. There's someone sitting in this room who I had a very minor conflict with, very, very minor, at an event that we had recently. And it was tiny. I was bothered by something she could tell. And I'm a hard person and I'm bothered by something I typically... Unless it's Aaron, I'll tell him. But typically, I like to hold it in. She noticed it. She pulled me aside quietly and said, I noticed this bothered you. And we talked about it. And I trust her more now. I feel closer to her. After that, I feel like she's my family. Because I trust her. I know she's going to say something. I know she wants to honor God with our relationship. And I'm thankful for that. I want you, if you have a phone or a pen, I want you to write something down. This is important. Or record it in your brain if you're one of those people, okay? I'm going to put it on the screen so it's easy to copy. It's this. God calls us to be peacemakers, to allow his redemptive, transforming love spill over into our relationships. God calls us to be peacemakers, to allow his redemptive, transforming love to spill over into our relationships. This is the beauty of leaning into conflict. Hopefully I've convinced you at this point to at least try to lean into conflict. But let's talk about kind of the steps of what you can do. Um, Or maybe even these are steps that you're missing at this point. Well, the first step is this. Go to Jesus first. Our first uh, instinct, I would be willing to say, especially myself, my husband, a lot of my friends in here, when we're upset about something We want to vent, right? We want to go to somebody. Can you believe this happened? Da-da-da-da-da-da. This story, that person did this thing. And there's something along the line where we've actually been encouraged to vent. Like it's a a healthy thing. In, in In looking at conflict, right? Like it's a healthy thing to vent to someone else. It's not biblical. It's not biblical to take a conflict that you're having with someone else and to talk about it to someone else just to complain. One, venting actually um, exacerbates the issue within you. It makes you more excited. It makes you more anxious. It makes you want to deal with it. That's not to say you shouldn't talk about it and you shouldn't get it out. But here's what I would say to you. Before going to somebody else and talking about it to somebody else, talk to Jesus about it. Pray about it. Humble yourself at his feet and ask for some perspective and some discernment. Because it's not only healthier for you, it's honoring to that relationship. Because when you go and you vent to somebody else, it turns into gossip. And it can be really destructive and really painful. Even when you say, don't tell anybody I said this. Hey, listen, I'm guilty. I I certainly have, have done this. But it's something I'm convicted by. And I want to encourage you to go to Jesus first to discern the conflict. The great thing about going to Jesus is, one, he takes away the weight of it. 
in Matthew chapter 11, I'm going to put this on the screen. He says this. He says, come to me, first come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Vent to me, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So you get two things here. One, he wants to hear you, wants to hear your heart when you're sad, but also he's going to give you some perspective, his perspective, holy perspective. So even before diving into talking to somebody about a problem you have with them, you get to discern okay, is this something that really affects the gospel? Is this something that is really a holy thing for me to lean into? Is this necessary for me to lean into? So go to Jesus first and allow him to help you put it in perspective. The second part of that is I think Jesus will reveal to us our part of the conflict. It's important to own your part. We think we do that. But I encourage you to actually pray about it and take it in. I think a lot of times when we do this, it can actually resolve the conflict without it ever even having to be talked about. Luke verse six, sorry, chapter six says this, verse 42. It says, how can you think of saying, friend, let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own eye? Hypocrite. First, get rid of the log in your own eye. Then you will see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. Doesn't mince words. That's a good one. So you need to discern whether the problem is really a problem. Is it worth leaning into? And I would say this. If it's sitting on your heart for a long time, if you're losing sleep, or if you're really tempted to gossip, or if you want to do something about it, or if it's distancing you from that person, it's worthy of you to go to that person and discuss it with them. So now I'm going to lay out some steps. This is the most practical part of this. So you want to seek the person out directly. We already covered this. Don't go to somebody else. Go to the person directly. Be humble. It's a humbling thing to do. It is. You have to check your pride at the door when you do this. But love the person and love Jesus enough and love that relationship enough that you're going to go to them first before you go to anybody else if you have an issue with them. Author and PhD, Susan Heitler, she's a psychologist. She writes about interpersonal conflict resolution. And she laid out these three steps that she teaches in her, um, in her classes. She says, number one is recognition of the problem. So when you gather with someone to resolve some conflict, you recognize the problem. Number two, explore the underlying concerns. And number three, find a mutually agreeable solution. Now, Let's break this down a little bit, okay? Recognition of the problem. Here's another big tip. When you have a conflict with someone, it's so important, and this is what you'll discern when you spend time with Jesus, that you acknowledge and that you realize that the other person is not your enemy. Guys, we are not enemies with each other. Other Christians are not the enemy. Satan's the enemy. The evil within that is the enemy. You are a team. And so when you go into a conflict, don't look at it as something to win or an argument to win. Instead, look at it as, I want us to be a team, and I want to care for this person and for our relationship. Okay? So recognition of the problem means you work together on that. You both agree that you want, you, you have a relationship, so you do want a good outcome, right? You agree on that good outcome. You talk about what the problem is. And I would say, when you're going to somebody 
I love this, this saying, and it goes along with some scripture, but I'm going to put this saying up here. It's probably my favorite thing to remind people of. It's seek first to understand, then to be understood. It's so important to be a good listener when you're in a conflict with somebody. It's so important to listen and to reach out, not only just because it should be a good habit, but because it puts you in the position of caring about that person and really caring about their concerns and their needs and their side of whatever is going on. So seek first to understand, then to be understood. James chapter 1, verse 19 says this. It says, be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. So fighters, this one's for you. Quick to listen. Humble yourself. Listen. That doesn't mean you won't be heard. We get so afraid that our whole identity, you know, is dependent on the next fighting words that we have, right? If we don't say just the right words, it takes, it's, we just have this fear of what it's going to do to our identity. But if we humble ourselves and we love the other person and we listen, then you're on the same track to healing. Listening effectively requires an attitude of taking the other person's perspective and concerns seriously. It's love. Don't pretend this stuff. Don't go through the motions and be like, okay, I know I'm supposed to listen to you, so answer the questions, but the whole time you're thinking of your arguments, not the same thing. You're not listening. Listen with the heart of a person who loves that person. Even if, even if you feel like they're wrong or they're unfair, listen, because they're a person too. I took a debate class when I was in high school. I loved it. And uh, the teacher taught us when we had debates, the very first thing that you do, people who are in law probably could answer this better than I could. The first thing that you're supposed to do is actually research the other person's position so that you can know, okay, that sounds like manipulation. I'm just saying you do want to know where they're coming from because you want to be a good listener. So seek first to understand, then to be understood. I really think that talking through Oh, number two, underlying, uh, exploring the underlying concerns. I think this is probably the meatiest, probably the most heated, and also most important part of conflict resolution. This psychologist that I was studying really emphasized that this is the step that we tend to skip because we get excited about doing that first step and sort of pretending our way through listening, and we just want to force our outcome. Okay, let's just resolve it. Nobody likes the feeling of tension. We just want resolution. We want harmony. We want peace. We want to... We want to move through the drama and move on. But this is the part that I would be willing to believe that most of us struggle to really work at, and that is exploring the underlying concerns. It's, once again, an extension of listening. This is the hardest part because it also means humbling yourself to be challenged by the other person. So if you're on the receiving end of this, this is the part to listen. Proverbs 27, 17 says, As iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. So this is good. This is something that can grow you as individuals. Individuals. Once you have worked through these concerns and listened to each other well, in the midst, I think something really beautiful happens. The Holy Spirit is there with you because you're two believers. You're one in the church. And there's this bond, this beauty that comes from these conversations. Becomes this place of, I'm I'm bearing myself to this person. I'm exposing something that I otherwise hide from other people, maybe. I'm exposing, I'm being transparent about a, a fear or a pain that I'm not proud to have. Or I'm admitting that I've done something wrong. It's a vulnerable place to be. And in that vulnerable moment is when the love of Jesus prevails between you. And it's beautiful. 
You've ever heard the song, they'll know we are Christians by our love, right? When we love each other well, we represent Christ well. And that love, as we said earlier, spills out of us. Now, I do want to give this as a little side note. If you have a conflict that is not resolved, notice the title of this message was not conflict resolution. Because there's something that also trips us up. We want to resolve the conflict. Unfortunately, it doesn't always work that way. It doesn't get resolved. And that's when we fly or we fight a lot of times, right? Because it's not getting resolved. And here's where you invite other people in. Invite other believers. Invite your parents. Invite a brother or a sister or somebody you really trust into the conversation. Because you, you want to have the same goal, right? The same goal of peace and of harmony through Jesus. And so you invite somebody into that. And beyond that, go to a counselor. If that conversation is not something that you can solve between the two of you, go to somebody professional. We have a long list of counselors that we love, if anybody needs one of those. Aaron and I do counseling pretty regularly. We're great. No, I'm just kidding. But we do. It's a beautiful, it's a way for us to talk about things um, with someone to sort of help guide the conversation in a healthy way and who's also professional at conflict resolution. So I encourage you to do that. Do not avoid conflict because, because you know there won't be resolution. That's not the idea of going to conflict is to solve the problem. It's to trust Jesus. It's to honor him. It's to grow closer through him. And it's trusting him in faith that when you lean into that, he's on the other side of it and he's going to carry you through it. Jesus came as the ultimate conflict resolution. He came and he sought first to understand us. He was born as a human being. He learned about us. He became one of us. He listened to us. He bonded with many of us, right? And then he served us, and he sacrificed, and he showed us what true love is in all relationships, right? Church, let's be peacemakers. Let's be a family of Christ followers who, who don't fight or fly, but instead that we lean into conflict. In this space, I'm actually saying this within this room, there's one thing to, to work on conflict with our, with our couples or our, our spouses or our best friends, but I'm encouraging you in this space and with a lot of the families that are not here today to lean into this. Let's grow as a church Let's lean into conflict and lean into tension. Let's not be afraid to challenge one another in the name of Jesus. And let's grow as Christ followers and Christ love shares. Ken Sand is a lawyer who actually, so he's a professional mediator turned activist for God-honoring conflict resolution and emotional intelligence. He wrote this book called uh, Peacemaker, A Biblical Guide to Resolving Personal Conflict. And I want to leave you with something that he said that I think is really powerful. He said, and I'm going to put it on the screen, peacemakers are people who breathe grace. They draw continually on the goodness of the power of Jesus Christ, and they bring his love, his mercy, his forgiveness, his strength, and his wisdom to the conflicts of daily life. Will you pray with me? God, I thank you so much for sending your son to forgive us of our sins and to bring us closer to you, of course, Lord, but also to teach us 
what love looks like, what you designed us for, why you gave us relationships. I thank you.